Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Nice. I got to ask you, what are your favorite tools in your shop that you're just jonesing on that you're like, oh man, why didn't I get this sooner? So bandsaw and a drum sander are the two things that like, I couldn't believe. Like first, uh, first of all, bandsaw is just so versatile, you know, basically like I, when I first got it, I actually thought to myself, like, I wonder why people get a table saw first before a bandsaw. Like, I know a table saw might be more accurate for ripping and things like that, but you can rip on a bandsaw if you set it up right. And Correct. you can do way more with it, too, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I am less scared of a bandsaw than I am a table yes. saw by a mile. Yes. yes, 100%. That was my other thought of... When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. This is where we talk home improvement, construction design, healthy homes, and playing around with power tools every single week. Thanks for joining us. We've got a good guy in the house here that I have learned a lot from watching his channel. And when I can learn from it, it always adds value to me, which means it can add value to you. Scott Couch, get off the couch. Design, welcome to Around the House, my friend. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, pretty cool to hear you say that uh, you learned some stuff from my page. I know you know a ton of stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, we, you know how this goes, though, brother. We all learn stuff from everybody. And as soon as you think you know it all, you're going to get your butt handed to you because... Uh, we can't all know it all. Isn't that the truth? There's a wealth of knowledge out there. And so that's why I like bringing people like you onto the show because, uh, man, there's always four or five different ways to do it. And I can't tell you how many times I see stuff and I go, well, I was doing that the hard way. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm <laughs> always doing things. And then I'm like, uh, how did I not think of that? That seems so simple. <laughs> Well, you're known out there for doing so many different stuff. I love your work with building signs and dealing with wood. You've even got, you know, dealing with laser stuff. You've got a lot of stuff going on, man. Yeah, we just uh, jump all around over here. That's <laughs> so, good. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I love the epoxy inlay stuff. That's like really my, my go-to thing, uh, I, I guess you could say. Yeah, I um, really love playing around with the total boat epoxy and doing the inlays and trying to match the colors to different uh, signs or teams that people want. It's awesome. Let's talk about those signs for a minute because, you know, that is complex stuff and, and you can't just like go out in the shop and do it once and have it end up perfectly because there's just so many variables. But uh, what do you do when somebody says, hey, can you make me a sign? What's the process in that? Sure. So first thing, you know, I'll, I'll figure out what they want. A lot of times I'm doing sports teams logos, which I don't know if I should be or not, but yeah, <laughs> we're not mentioning sport teams. So guess what? <laughs> For exactly. Personal use only. So guess what? 
Exactly. This is uh, all for me. Um, so uh, what I'll do is I'll take the design and I'll throw it into uh, Aspire, um, which is a vector program. And I do all my programming in there. Sometimes if it's more complicated, I'll throw it into Adobe Illustrator um, or a different program. I have Lightburn that I use for the laser that you mentioned. And that is actually like really good at tracing. So sometimes I'll throw some uh, stuff in there to see if I can get a better trace out of that. Uh, but then once it's traced, uh, I then will go through and figure out, you know, which order to pour the, the pieces in. So, like, I just did one for a Flamingo. It's a um, Brazilian soccer team. Cool. And it's black, red, and white. And so, like, basically what I did for that one is I just poured a big area of black, then mm-hmm. cut the red portion out, poured the red, and then cut the white out of the red, and then filled that in. So, oh, basically, it's just sense. a matter of figuring out which order to get it in so it's a lot like when you're doing um and i'm going to take it to something i know like auto body where you're doing layers of stripes or graphics in the car you almost have to think backwards of how that's going to go because sometimes the color that you think goes last actually goes on first sure exactly yep that's like the uh i i tend to think of it as like the the biggest uh find the color on the outside and then work your way in and that way you just make you may end up kind of wasting some epoxy or whatever, but at, in the end, you get a cleaner look, hundred percent. And that makes sense because then when you're filling, you can fill in the 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 pool or the hole versus trying to go the other way, which can make it significantly more difficult and not give you some clean lines. Yep, yep. One of the first thing first times I did it, first of all, I I used dominoes to for my glue up because uh, uh-huh. I'll, I'll get maple and glue up a panel first before I mill everything. And I used dominoes, so once I milled it deep enough for the epoxy, you could see the dominoes. So that was a learning uh, curve. Yep. But then also the um, the other thing that I learned was uh, on that same one with the dominoes, I tried to make pockets so that they were just touching. Instead of okay. just making one big pocket, like the one big black pocket, and then cutting the red out of that, I tried to make a black pocket, fill that, and then cut the red pocket and fill that. And I quickly learned that that doesn't work because <laughs> I had little bits of wood between, and I was trying to chisel it out. And so just doing the overall big pour first and getting smaller and smaller seems to make it way cleaner. Oh man, that, yeah, that, that's a big thing. I have not played around with epoxy. I, I think I'm scarred from back when working in a cabinet shop and we were doing like the acrylic bar top stuff where you were pouring the, pouring the clear, uh, doing the old, you know, polyurethane bar top material. Uh And we had a bar that we had to do. And this thing was for a, a condo hotel thing up in the mountains. And we took literally tamarack logs with a live edge and they wanted a pour over the top of that to keep it looking nice Mm -hmm. and these were like 16 foot long four inch thick pieces we were doing and it was probably the biggest struggle without getting something to bubble or pop on that whole piece you had to do it all at once and uh i think it was our third try we were about ready to throw the thing out in the back parking lot and burn it. By the time we were done, we were so frustrated. (laughs) And these are professionals. These are guys that are doing this for, you know, for work. And uh, man, it was troublesome. It was troublesome back then because temperature, humidity, all those different things were playing with us. And uh, that was a tough project. I mean, it's still up there, but the other problem was the architect hadn't planned in that that 
wood was going to move. And even though it was a big, huge piece of kiln drying wood, it still liked to move as a bar top. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, I can only imagine doing it on site like that. I've never done a huge pour like that. And on a curved live edge piece, I can only imagine the, not to mention the different temperature and humidity, like you're saying, no, no chance. I've done a, I think it was like a two by four foot tabletop that was just for my backyard that I did it. And that one was challenging enough worrying about the bubbles and this and that. And I had a controlled environment in my basement. So doing that on site work is no joke. If I would have done that today, I would have done it in epoxy and I'd called Jess up and said, Hey girl, how do we do this? (laughs) There you go. Exactly. (laughs) She set you right in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I got a figure, I got a feeling, even though that we had people that have been doing it for 15 years, we probably still weren't doing it the right way. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure uh, Jess knows exactly what, what the right way to do it. Yeah, we'll have her on the show here one of these days. She's been out traveling, uh, teaching classes. So her and I are working on a schedule to get her on there because I know I can learn stuff there as well. But uh, man, you've been doing so many cool things with these signs. And what I like about them is they look solid when they're done. I mean, they are as professionally built as anything out there commercially. And you can just get those things dialed in. Appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been fun trying to figure out the processes and whatnot. And along the way, I've upgraded tools to make it a lot easier. Um, in the beginning, I was you know using a palm sander, just sanding off the excess epoxy. And now, I've gotten a lot smarter and used the drum sander and or the uh, CNC to clean things up, and it's way easier. Let's talk power tools for a minute because that is always a tough subject out there, you know and. And this is no different than people out there, the Ford Chevy Dodge debate with trucks, you know, it's the Coke versus Pepsi, you know, it's all of those different things. What do you like using? So I have a bunch of Harvey tools in my shop right now. I had Mm -hmm. a bunch of uh, jet tools, um, but uh, probably about six months or so a year ago, I got about a year ago, I got a maybe two years at this point, I got a bandsaw from them and it was my first ever bandsaw and super powerful, real awesome. Uh, so I ended up picking up their table saw too. It's four horsepower and nothing's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, as far as, uh, my other big tools, I've got, uh, some super max, some jet. I, I really mix it in there kind of just yeah. whatever I can get my hands on. I think I, I even I, saw, I was, did I see a Hitachi chop saw in the background there one time? I do. Yep. Yep. That I thing have, looks uh, pretty cool. Yeah. That, I picked up on a Black Friday one time because I really wanted a zero clearance because my shop is ridiculously small. So I needed yeah. that as much space as I can. So that zero clearance is huge for that. Nice. Nice. What are you using for the drill drivers and hand tools out there? Uh, I got all, all, all Milwaukee for all that stuff. Um, cool. A while back when I first started, I heard Milwaukee was good, you know, so I got some. And then once you're on that one platform, I just, uh, you can see in the, it. there's a lot of red in my background here too, and my shop yep. behind me. So <laughs> That's my shop is all black and red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got some yellow and black and some other colors back there, but it's, there's a lot sure. of red back there. And I think I'll be tossing a few more brands in there. I'm not loyal to one of them, but like you said, though, man, once you get, you know, once you get kind of going on a brand and it's so much easier because no matter what brand you like, they got you on the platform thing. Why go have another battery charger? Why have another platform to have yep. to mess with? 
Exactly. That's what, as you're saying, you have, you know, some black and yellow back there too. I'm like, oh yeah, I do have, you know, a bunch of different platforms, but I really just, if I'm getting a new tool, I just try to get one that I already have the batteries for because it's just that much easier. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff I have, if I have a different brand, many times it was something that, you know, brand A didn't make or didn't make at that time, a very good version of that. So I went and got the best version that was available. And as you know, every year, these tool companies are coming up with, with everything new and sometimes they even jump the shark a little bit as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the, uh, the uh, DeWalt and Milwaukee lawnmower might be a little over the edge for me, but uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's a little much for me. But uh, if you have the batteries, I can see where it makes sense. Yep. Yep. Sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any, uh, yard tools or anything like that, uh, with those companies, but, uh, like, like you said, I had a nailer from one company and, you know, it was great, but every so often it wouldn't sink nails. So now I have a a different company one and it sinks the nails every time, but I think it was just, you know, that was the first generation that they put out. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you're doing these epoxies, man, what is your trick for keeping things clean? Because I tell you what, man, if you're not careful with that, you can get that stuff everywhere. Oh yeah. That's uh so I kind of got lucky. My shop is very small, so I couldn't do epoxy out there. So nice. I don't have to worry about the dust from there. So I have my basement turned into like a little like epoxy studio, I guess you could call it. Oh, cool. And yeah, so I have some mats down there and things. It's all basically a corner of my basement is sectioned off just for epoxy. So my kids know to stay away from it. And uh, (laughs) I have a lot of pours going on and basically nobody goes in the basement until they're cured. And I also use uh, total boat epoxy and the two to one that I use, it cures pretty well within, within, you know, six hours or so. So I don't really have to worry about it too much. Cool. How do you keep that from getting up in the house? Because I tell you what, if I was doing it in my basement, I'd be having my family mad at me if I wasn't careful. Uh, you know, I for a while I wasn't wearing gloves, but okay. now I wear <laughs> gloves all the time. And uh, actually, my girls love it. I have three daughters and they mm-hmm. love coming down to do it with me. So oh, nice. it's, yeah, it turns into like one of those things like, uh, can we do some epoxy? Can I come down and do some? So we do some like almost family pours, I guess you'd call them. Uh, uh, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That table actually that I was saying for out back that we built, uh, me, my wife and the three girls all picked different colors we wanted on it and kind of made it like a marble look and just had fun with it. Family time, man. Priceless. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whenever the girls want to get in the shop, I'm always all for it and trying to get them hands on as much as I can. Oh, that is awesome. And I tell you what, those, those memories like that, you know, you think about stuff that you do with your family. I, I can think back of all the different DIY projects I did with my dad, you know, 40 plus years ago, and there's still memories that are still solid right there. So uh, that's pretty oh, sweet. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yep. That's what actually got me into all this. My dad was a cabinet maker for 40 years. So all right. well, let's talk about that a little bit. How did you get into this? Cause you know, my dad was, he worked for the government, but he was Mr. DIY guy. We would be working on the house or we'd be working on the cars and we were restoring classic cars uh, on the weekends and, and doing that kind of stuff. And I spent 30 years in the cabin industry. So I want to hear about your dad here and how that goes. Cause that's oh, yeah. a brutal industry to be in. Yeah. So he was mostly in it when I was real young. Uh mm-hmm. When I got a little bit older, he threw out his back. And so I didn't really spend too much time in there when I was older. But uh, so he had a cabinet shop for 
25 years, I think it was, uh, something like that. And they did a ton of different stuff for offices and buildings down here. Um, this desk I'm sitting at right now, my dad built, uh, I don't know, however many years ago. And my mom is a court reporter, so he's built her uh, desk uh, that he has and all the cabinets at my old house and everything. So I remember growing up, uh, we were redoing our kitchen and my dad was redoing all the cabinets himself. And we've got like some some cool cabinets that I've never seen before with like, you know, you open up the cabinet and then it's got some part that spins out and you can access. Basically, he, he made it so we could utilize every portion of those cabinets. So it was, yep. it was cool to grow up around. But then once I got a little bit older, uh, we needed a table for our house. So I reached out to a buddy and I was like, hey, you know, he, he owned his own wood shop and was like, hey, I need a table. And once I found out, I was like, can I actually come work and figure it out and learn? And next thing you know, here I am, have my own shop and build my own stuff. And- nice. I will say something about the cabin industry and it's kind of like, it's hard to get the stuff done at home when you're doing it all day long. So uh, hats off to him for getting the home kitchen done because uh, in the cabin industry, that's the hardest one. I mean, I've got 30 years this year in the kitchen cabin industry. Last year was the first kitchen I did for myself. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's just how it goes. Yep. What's that phrase? The cobbler's uh, yeah. son, uh, kid never has shoes or something shoes, like yeah, that. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, I was the poster child for that. And, and uh, that's awesome that, and then, then, you know, you got to learn as well a little bit from that. So, you know, oh, that sure. was a, that was a good role model of, Hey, there's some cool stuff to play with here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, even when we would have our pine, like Pinewood Derby competitions for uh, Boy Scouts, we yep. would get to go down to my dad's shop and, you know, build some crazy Pinewood Derby cars that uh, weren't just like the standard run of the mill Pinewood Derby car you'd get. So it was always I, cool. That's awesome. I was, I remember doing those as a kid too. And, uh, we'd also, we'd get there and, and, uh, they'd be like, I'm not sure if that meets the rules. And I'd be going, read the book, show me the, you know, and they're like, well, I guess that works, you know? Yep. Yep. So we made an ambulance one year and they're like, <laughs> I don't know. Did you add stuff? And you're like, Nope. All the same block of wood. It's all there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yeah. I was, I was following the rules, but at that time the the rules didn't, you know, you could, you know, as far as adding weight and stuff, they they were pretty liberal with them at the time. And so uh, yep. I'm sure they've changed it since then. But back then you could add weight and stuff to it. And I was uh, I was drilling out and putting a lead shot in the back and, you know, doing stuff to really balance stuff out. I was trying to trying to make it like it was a NASCAR. Yep. Yep. And actually, it's funny that you say that because it reminds me uh, one year we didn't get the chance to make one. So uh-huh. I used my brother's old one. And it was under the weight it needed to be. So we taped a quarter to the back of it and I ended up almost like winning the whole like tournament or whatever. <laughs> but luckily I didn't. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, I wanted to ask one more thing. What's the secret of keeping the epoxy off the tools and stuff? Cause man, I tell you what, the clamps, the everything else, it always seems around the shop when you're gluing stuff up or even when you're working with any of these adhesives and, and epoxies, that stuff likes to get everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So wherever I'm using epoxy, I try to keep a silicone mat under whatever I'm doing. Or if it's like a bigger thing, I have a big HDPE sheet and mm-hmm. I'll put whatever I'm doing on there. So like today, I have a bunch of coasters that I have to pour some tabletop epoxy on. Mm-hmm. So I'll just lay them all out across the HDPE. 
and make sure it's nice and clean and then just pour it over that, let it all cure and then just pop it off with pop like a off. scraper or whatnot. Ah, great then, tip. Yeah. As far as clamps and things like that, mm-hmm. use uh, packing tape or like a Tyvek home wrap. Yeah. And you can wrap that around your clamps, your pieces. What I'll do is I'll take like a couple pieces of wood, square them up true and everything, and then wrap them with Tyvek tape and then use them to with a clamp and to hold down whatever I need with the epoxy. Nice. Okay. There you go. Yeah. There and you if you go. ever do get in trouble, you can uh, take a heat gun to it and loosen <laughs> it up that way. There you go. When you're like, uh-oh, went too far. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Don't ask how I know. <laughs> uh, we all learn from those mistakes, man. Come on. Oh, That's, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know how many times I've been sitting there, you know, with that, uh, can't remember the brand, but the, you know, the yellow and black, um, hand wipes that come in that big round can- canister. I probably got some in my shop here. Those do so much good over cleaning up tools and stuff too. I don't know if you ever use those. Uh, are you talking like the firm grip ones or? Uh, no, they're the, these, are, these are the ones in the yellow and black um, kind of tube. They're like in a, almost like a big thing of the Clorox wipes, but they're the the hand cleaning ones that you get out there. I'm okay. trying to think of the brand, but uh, man, those things I've used for cleaning up power tools and stuff when, when on the outside, when I get it mess, the uh, um, anyway, they're just the clean cleaning hands ones that you use out there. Those things will work good. If I'm like, Oh, if I clean it off my hands, maybe it'll, cleaning sure. off the tools and that kind of stuff. So I go through and, and, uh, after I'm done doing stuff, clean that up. Cause man, it's yep. just stuff gets everywhere. Oh, it, it sure does. I was actually, just before we got on, I was down in the basement cause I'm getting prepared to pour those coasters and the HDPE was covered with old epoxy. And, you know, since it's in the basement, uh, I was playing, not playing, but fixing a pipe. So there was a bunch of dirt and debris on it, but, uh, total boat has an eco solvent and I use that and, that nice. thing, I was actually kind of surprised at how much it got rid of. So there's, uh, um, there was like semi-cured epoxy and mm-hmm. some uh, hardener just all over there because I had an issue and, you know, whatever. So it was all a mess. And I basically just poured that stuff on there and wiped it with a paper towel. And I was amazed at how well it cleaned up. Nice. Nice. I got to ask you, what are your favorite tools in your shop that you're just jonesing on that you're like, oh, man. Why didn't I get this sooner? So bandsaw and a drum sander are the two things that like, I couldn't believe like, first, uh, first of all, bandsaw is just so versatile, you know, basically like when I first got it, I actually thought to myself, like, I wonder why people get a table saw first before a bandsaw. Like I know a table saw might be more accurate for ripping and things like that, but you can rip on a bandsaw if you set it up right. And you can do way more with it too, obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and to be honest, I am less scared of a bandsaw than I am a table yes. saw by a mile. Yes. yes. 100%. That was my other thought of, you know, why a table saw before a bandsaw. Cause a bandsaw, like, you know, obviously you can mess up with any power tool, but a sure. bandsaw just seems a lot more safe. You know, you can put something in and pull it back from the blade and not have to worry about it. Table saw, you, you put it in, you keep pushing. You, you know? keep pushing, and if not, you're <laughs> <Yeah>. in trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah, I, I I can't tell you how many times in the you know I'm in a bunch of woodworkers groups and stuff on uh, on uh, social media pages out there, and uh, I saw one this last week where a guy was ripping some wood in the, on his table saw, and of course he said he had been, always been trained to stand not behind the blade, 
and it shot mm-hmm. this piece of wood. It looked like it was about a one by two all the way back. And he had a thing of like canned almonds on his shelf and mm-hmm. it jammed the two by four. I mean, the, the one by two all the way through the can of almonds and out the back. Oh, of it. I believe it. I and believe I'm like, it. Oh yeah, I've seen it. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. but I was just like, wow, there is a graphic picture of a simple cut gone bad. And, uh, bandsaws, you don't get that. Oh no, not at all. I had a similar thing with my table saw when I was first using it. I had a tiny, it was only like, you know, a half inch wide, but it stuck right into the, my garage door. And I actually left it there for like a year and a half because I was just like, that's a good that's reminder cool. to be safe because, you know, <laughs> everybody gets going and you don't think what's going on. And next thing you know, there's a lot but, of guys missing the end of a finger out there that have used table saws for decades and they got comfortable. Yep. Yep. So I'm hoping to keep all of my digits. But Amen. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, and quite frankly, this is not a commercial because I, I don't have any even communication with these guys. I can see where that saw stop technology out there could be helpful for a lot of people, even though you oh, have sure. to be a little careful with it because, you know, if you've got damp wood or something like that, you can create some issues, but they do have a way to test that. But I, I could see the value, but, uh, Man, those saws are not cheap either. No, not at all. Yeah, but I can see the value in that being added to, you know, many different tools. You know, why not? You have a spinning blade and if you can stop it by just how, however it does it electromagnetically or whatever yeah. it is. But if you can do that to any blade, then why not? I got to do that probably six years ago on a TV thing I was doing for uh, our local TV station. I was out talking power tools and we got to do that uh, hot dog challenge. And uh, when they take a hot uh, dog... Oh yeah. That was oh, intense. Nice. <laughs> I, I bet I've seen it done before. I've never seen it live. Uh, oh, so man, that thing, never done it, but. the energy of that blade spinning and then jamming that aluminum block into the blade. So it just took a Nick. And I mean, if that would have been my finger, I don't know if it would have bled even. Yeah, it's it's impressive. Uh, I was in. A, I'm just remembering. I was in a shop that I, that shop that I was working in, and yeah. we were pushing some insulation with a metal backing on it through it, and didn't even think, but it conducted through the metal, and it popped it down. And that it was quick, and it's amazing how fast it is. It's violent, but it works. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I mean, <laughs> it it kind of has to be in order to yeah. get that thing down quick enough. Yeah, it's 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 cool. And I was impressed. I was like, all right, I can see the value of this. Do I own one? Nope. I haven't went on to go out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars for a for a good table saw. Yep. But uh yeah, maybe maybe one day if I'm doing enough projects, you know. Sure. I'm just not doing as much table saw projects right now, just uh with with doing this stuff. But uh I could definitely see the the value and I can also make the argument that yeah, it's more expensive. But if you're going to go out and buy a table saw, it's cheaper than what your insurance deductible is going to be. So, uh, Isn't you know, the there's, and there I is some value to that. I want to say they came out with a job site one, too. They so do. I think they have a, the smaller one. So, yeah, can can be safe and within a within a budget. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
And I'm so, not sponsored and that, either. So what are you doing out there too? Is uh, yeah, we could both use sponsors of this, right? So if you're sauce yeah, top, right. you're listening, we, we would love to see those in our shops. And I'll say for Scott too, that, uh, you know, you know how to get a hold of us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shameless plug. Well, I see, you know, you're out there doing a lot of, of gluing up wood, like, you know, for your tabletops or signs or anything else like that. And it's some really basic woodworking stuff, but I think it's very valuable in doing it right. Do you have any tips for our listeners out there that are thinking about, oh, I got to glue something up, but I don't really know how to do that. Sure. Uh, first, make sure your wood is dry and get proper <laughs> proper lumber, I would suggest, from a lumber yard or a mill or a kiln, not necessarily a big box yep. source. Um, <laughs> yeah, then, good point. <laughs> and then you want to just make sure that you got you can get two, uh, two flat surfaces. Um, yep. Basically, if you have a jointer, obviously that, that makes it <sighs> makes the easiest. It so nice, man. Oh yeah. Nice square edge. Yep. So you can get those two square edges and then square, uh, have your table saw at a true 90, get another square edge. Then from there, it's pretty simple. You know, as long as you have everything squared up, I I sometimes see people using like all these calls and things to hold it down. And those are great. But as long as your wood is nice and squared and trued up and dried, should be able to sit right on those clamps and smooth right together. Yeah, that's that's a question for the listeners out there. When was the last time you trued up your table saw? When was the last time that you trued that stuff up? When have you grabbed that that stared square out there and played with it? You know, because we all, including me, it's been a long time since I've sat there and went, "How close is that?" You know, is zero zero right? That is a good point. I couldn't tell you the last time I did it on my table saw, but my bandsaw. If I'm ever uh, back to the bandsaw, because again, that's like one of my favorite tools in the shop. But if I'm ever resawing anything with that, then I, I'll always throw a square on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff right there. And you know, it's, it's interesting. So what are you working on in the shop wise? Do you have like a single car garage or what's tight for you? You were talking about your shop setup. Yeah. So I have a single car garage and okay. just about a year or so ago we have, there's like a little alleyway on the side of it. That's uh, I think it's five and a half feet wide. Okay. And just about a year or so ago, I bought a shed and cleared out all the kids' bikes and everything from that side and open that up but it is jam-packed with stuff i've got a 52 inch cabinet saw (laughs) an 80 watt laser full-on band saw and um and then obviously the miter saw and everything else so i'm 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 pushed to capacity right now you need a second story addition over that or something, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I think all the time, you know, where can I put a little addition on the side, the back, or if I can maybe just like, uh, get my dust collector or my compressor outside. Cause you know, those are just square footage up space. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's a struggle always. That's why actually my CNC and all my epoxy work is all done in my basement. Cause I can't even fit the CNC yeah. in the shop. Man, I tell you what, I got spoiled in the cabin industry doing stuff where, you know, we had some big unisaws and stuff, but uh, having a CNC to be able to load stuff into, and I mean, we had the big CNCs where it was loading the sheet of four by eight on it and, you know, cabinet grade, large manufacturing, but holy smoke, set that thing up. And if you need to do a bunch of cut parts, that stuff pounds it out quick. Oh yeah. CNC is such a game changer, especially those ones where you can just throw a sheet right on it and, uh, just produce a cabinet basically. 
Yeah. Like, you can't beat that. Oh man. We'd sit there. It was a big change. Cause we had uh, the one custom shop I was working at. They were doing a kind of a Euro frameless cabinet and the guy had a really good idea. Everything was so datoed together. He could put a cabinet box together with no fasteners and it would hold together. Oh, yeah. That's how tight things were. I mean, CNC it could be made. assembled and it would just sit there because everything was kind of locked in together before glue, before everything. So it was really cool how that went. Uh, but wow, that changed everything as far as one yields. Cause we could, you know, we didn't waste anything. You could sit there and optimize a sheet and that thing was big enough that you could literally load up, you know, 16 sheets of plywood or, or particle board or MDF or whatever we were doing. And it would just pump it out. Oh, sure. That's what I have a buddy, uh, Oscar at Naughty Dog Woodshop and he's, he's out in California, but he's got a, a cabinet shop and for the longest time he's been just doing it with a track saw, a table saw and everything. And he, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, got a CNC and he's got it all optimized and everything. And the way that it can just use those sheets and just rip through and produce a cabinet is ridiculously awesome <laughs> and <laughs> it's so accurate but there's also so many little problems that i ran into too that i realized <clears> that uh you know particle board or mdf or one of those things not so much but uh when you get that accurate i realized that you know plywood is not the same dimension every time because they're veneers oh, yeah. of wood so we ran into some issues sometimes where we see and seed it out and it was perfect but we had to always keep into mind that the material we had to gauge that material before we put it into the saw and optimized it. Cause we needed to make sure how tight it was going to be because many times three quarter inch plywood is not really three quarters. It's close. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. That's what uh, having a set of calipers next to the CNC is uh, very vital. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Even Absolutely. those, uh, the, the epoxy inlaid signs, uh, sometimes I'll put those on the CNC and I'm cutting it and, you know, it's all ready to go. And I'm like, Oh shoot. I never checked how thick this is for the final cut. <laughs> yep. There you go. So what kind of woods are your favorites right now to work with? I mean, we all kind of have our, our go-to favorite stuff as far as projects. Well, what are you jonesing on now? Sure. So I've always been a big walnut fan. I think Amen. everybody, you know, everybody loves walnut. But as of recently, I've been doing a lot of ash stuff. I made a headboard for my bedroom and actually I recently made a kitchen table for our house, both out of ash. And I uh, just really like the like clean look. You know, you get some grains, but it's still like a nice, light, clean look. Uh, so I've been really liking ash a lot lately. And it's hard enough that you can work with it. That's the thing. It, it machines just like uh, walnut or maple or anything like that. And it's, it's nice and solid. It's funny how woods kind of go into style and come out of style. I remember 15 years ago, like in the cabinetry world, 20 years ago, maybe alder was such a huge thing out there, which was people were using it as the, the cheap man's cherry. But I love to see that walnut has come back over the last number of years because, you know, walnut was so big in the 70s and 80s as a wood. I've loved it the entire time. But uh, in furniture and everything else, walnut has come back heavy which to me is beautiful anyway. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. You can never, can never get enough, uh, too much walnut in my book. <laughs> <laughs> smells so good when you're working with it too. That's the fun stuff. That's one of the best things about working with it. I love, you know, milling up some walnut and then coming back out to the shop a little while later and just walking into that smell. Uh, it uh, kind of reminds me of the shop I used to work in. Cause we used to do so much walnut work there. Nice. Nice. 
What are you doing out there? And this is something that I see um, that I get a lot of DIY questions on. And I haven't even asked you this before, but have you done, you know, what are your secrets? If you get a little dent in a piece of wood or projects, do you have any uh, cool little tricks for, for fixing wood? Yeah. So I actually, I actually shipped something out uh, a while ago and and during shipping or some point it got a dent in it, got sent back to me. So I ended up sanding it down and I took an iron and some water. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've seen that before. Uh, And, and I was actually shocked at how well it worked. I just kept putting the water, the soaking wet paper towel on there and Mm -hmm. throwing the iron on and letting that heat steam it a little bit. And Little by little, it came right out. I was actually completely surprised how well it worked. That's awesome. I've done that too. Um, as long as you've got the finish off of there, it works pretty well. I've also bubbled clear finishes trying it, you know, but. Uh, oh, sure. I bet. <laughs> you know, so you got to be careful with that. But yeah, I'd take a, a same trick. I'd take a Q-tip and really get it wet in there. Let it soak in, let it soak in, let it soak in, and then do the wet paper towel and that and, uh, it's shocking how well that actually works. Yeah. You know, I, I had seen it on online and things, but I never used it. And I was like, eh, you know, I'll try it and see what happens. And it was amazing how well it worked. I, I wish I had talked to you before that though, because the Q-tip would have been perfect for the size of uh, the little dent that I had there. <laughs> That's how I just, you know, dip it in. It would just soak it up enough that I could sit there and just dab and dab and dab. And, and uh, sure. if you need to cut it down, you can also cut the Q-tip down to a finer point with some, like sharp scissors and uh, sure, yeah, get it a little more smart. trim so you can kind of drop it in there. But that's, that's one of my tricks. Um, you know, something else, and, and this is something great for you guys out there in our, in our audience uh, for fixing cabinets and stuff. We had one time a contractor had miscommunicated with the husband and put all new kitchen, the whole new kitchen in husband said, Hey, this is where I want the handles. Wife comes home and goes, Oh, <gasps> that's not where I wanted the handles. And now we had almost a a violent situation between them. And he actually brought in uh, one of those furniture repair guys. I don't know if you've seen them. They're the guys out there that do like the, the fine furniture repair on site. They do the, the restorations and stuff. Yeah. They come in, he came in and fixed that painted kitchen. And these were factory finished cabinets. You, we they moved them, put the hardware on it, and had everything pre-drilled ready to go. He came in there and finished it, airbrush all his little tricks of the trade, and you couldn't tell that there were holes an inch and a half away that were completely in the wrong spot. But it's shocking what real touch-up can do to wood out there. And I've seen them do it with cherry. I've seen them do it with other woods as well. And it was really shocking to see what they can do with that. It's amazing what some people can do with uh, certain different materials or techniques or whatnot, because I would have no clue how to get it back to that. Like, you know, maybe some clue, but to do it to the point where you can't tell that it was even there, like, that's impressive. One guy I worked with, he had all these different woods of sawdust, right? And so he would mix up his own filler with glue and the sawdust, and he would patch it with that. So Uh when the wood aged, it would appropriately aged because as you know with wood if you're doing walnut or cherry or something like that even maple that is you know sunlight and and uv does crazy things to those woods oh yeah later on the road man you know you'll see that spot every single time and uh i was like okay well i've 
always known to do that with hardwood floors, but I hadn't thought about doing the repair that way. So it was always fascinating to see that stuff. Right. That's cool to hear that somebody would uh, carry around different samples of uh, wood sawdust like that too. Cause at one point in my woodworking beginnings, somebody said, you know, save different sawdust. So for a while I had a thing of ash sawdust, a thing of walnut. And to be honest, I don't know where it is, but it, it would be nice to have that. And just yeah, exactly. For just for like those that. repairs, just for sure. those repairs. And that's fun stuff right there. What are you doing for tool organization in your shop, man? Is there any, uh, any secrets? Cause you got a tight space and so many oh, people man. out there have tight spaces. I mean, not, I, I'm not, I don't have that luxury of having, I mean, this is getting torn down behind me next week. I've got a new system coming in, but I'm curious to see what you're doing for tool storage. Sure. So uh, I actually just ordered a whole bunch of packouts and I'm going to try uh, something new. So I've been struggling with, that's like the biggest struggle for me is tool storage oh. and where I keep things and organization. So, yeah, I, I get that in full disclosure and I'll, and I'll laugh and show you this. Um, I have the same thing coming and I'm waiting for UPS to show up. So uh, if I uh, pull open the app on my phone, you can see the, uh, Milwaukee tool thing. And it's all down oh, there. That's yeah. all the stuff that's coming. So I got a nice, I got an eight foot pack out system coming back here for me. That's uh, going to store all my stuff because I'm in the same boat, uh, batteries, chargers, just all those tools. I got two huge toolboxes and I still struggle with organization. Oh, it's, it's so hard. That's what, so I've been like, I go back and forth all the time. Do I stop working on projects and just, tear down the shop and rebuild it up so that it's like semi-organized or do I, you know, bits and pieces. So that was part of my thought in ordering a whole bunch of packouts. I'm going to try and and slowly but surely get every tool in a packout. And then I want to build up a wall where packouts can all just be stored right there and labeled and no worries. Tools will stay clean. So yeah, I'll let you know see. how it goes. I'm I'm curious. It's literally supposed to he- be here in the next few days. And then, uh, this whole wall back here is getting gutted down to the studs and I'm going to, you know, re-insulate with rock wool and uh, drywall up and, and, uh, I've got some wood I'm going to do back up there on the wall and then put that pack out system on it. So it'll be pretty cool, but, uh, want to get Very that organized cool. cause it's, it's a battle, man. And, and, and you can be so much more efficient with space if everything has a home that's, that it fits. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I, I have like a shelf that's just like got a bunch of junk on it. And I'm like, right, if I can get spots for all this stuff then, and then you know where it is too. Cause some half yeah. time I'm like, I thought I put that on the shelf. I don't know where it went. Um, but yeah. which, uh, are you doing? So are you doing the new pack out wall? Uh, yeah, I'm doing the, I've got a, yeah, I got like a six or seven foot pack out wall system coming. So I've got all the racks, awesome. all the battery holders, all the drill holders, tool holders, all that stuff in the bins. And I've got even the, a couple of the cabinets that hang on the wall coming. Oh, so okay. uh, I've got the whole it's system coming. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to work. Yeah. Uh, I just took a look at some of that stuff and it looks pretty solid. Uh, yeah. and, and the battery holders. Oh man, that'll be so nice. Cause like right now I just have a stack of batteries on the end of my bench top, you know, uh, yeah, like that pretty much just like you have there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly Over my it. other shoulder too. To it's... <laughs> yep. Same kind of thing. And I'm like, Oh man, I mean, that's so much square footage being used up by batteries that I go over and grab off of it, but I don't need to have that. You know, and of course I'm like everybody else. I try not to ever store them on the charger because it's never good to have those things plugged in and sitting there, even though they're smart chargers. I just don't trust 
batteries from any sure. brand as a whole. Cause last thing I do is burn the shop down with a bad battery oh, yeah. sometime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you have a couple of chargers sitting behind that stack of batteries. Like I do, don't you? Oh, I have a shelf in my shed that has a, a, a huge toad in it. And I've probably got 30 chargers sitting in there. So yep, I, I hear that I got a, a tote fall in the basement <laughs> <laughs> and I hate to throw them away, you know, and I, I, I get buddies that'll go, Oh man, I got to go buy a charger. I'm like, oh, hold on. Just come nope, by. I gotcha. Come get it. Come yep. get it. Yep. Come get it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's way too many chargers. And, and I can't complain. I get that every tool could be for somebody's first tool. Right. Yep. But yep. if I could check the box and go, ah, I could not use that charger. I'd be plenty happy. Right. I'll take the battery, but the charger I don't need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. makes a difference, you know, and, uh, that's the one nice thing. And again, back to having tools, it's so great to be able to work on stuff and have a handful of batteries and never be worried about, Oh, I'm going to run out. Even if you're outside tackling your own big project, not just doing something in the shop. Oh yeah, sure. And even just having the battery platforms, it's amazing how I, I think I have one tool that like a hand, one handheld tool that is battery or plug-in now. Yeah. Everything else that I have is battery operated. Yeah, I think I think I have gone through everything. I have I have one air tool left that's a crown stapler that I have that I just haven't I don't use it enough right. to to go out and get it. Um if one shows up on my shelf one day, it shows up on the shelf one day, but I don't I, it's not on my priority list to go out cuz I use it like every other year or something stupid and I'm like, oh, "I'll get the hose and the mini compressor out and and do that." Yep. But uh Everything else, air tools, power tools, it's all gone. And quite frankly, my Milwaukee, you know, fuel Sawzall works better than the battery than my other one that was plugged in. Oh, oh sure. Yep. It's it's crazy how much these batteries can throw power like that. Um, that's what mine, it's the same way. I have a jigsaw that's mm -hmm. uh, electric still. And that's the only thing, but I, I use it once a year, yeah. if that. So I really, unless one shows up at my door, I'm not going to be getting a, a battery powered jigsaw. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I was going to ask you drum sander, man. I mean, that's cool. Those are, those are so useful when you're, when you're doing something and trying to get something flat sanded. Uh, is that what you're using them for? Just trying to get like a tabletop finish on it when you use that or. Uh, so I basically got it for like two reasons. One reason I was building some boxes and I was making splines and I had a, a kind of a scary accident at the table saw. I was trying to cut some thin pieces uh -huh. and I was using a sled and somehow when I was pulling it back, it just hit the blade wrong and it threw the piece back into my stomach, bent my thumb a weird way. <sighs> Luckily I didn't get cut, didn't get hurt other than the board hitting my stomach. And I was, I was wearing a leather apron and it actually protected pretty well and i was i was nice. shocked yeah so i messaged the guy that made the apron i was like is this is this supposed to be like protective because it protected me yeah you're like um, this worked <laughs> yeah it was awesome uh but anyway so i was making splines and i figured it would be a lot easier on a drum sander to get to that exact uh width that you need for the splines but then mainly was the epoxy projects so i was taking those and i was i i always like to over pour the pockets when i do them oh, yeah. and then sand it back down rather than so that everything can be flush and smooth at the end rather than sanding the wood down to the epoxy nice so okay 
Yeah. So what I would do is I would, you know, take 60 or 80 grit sandpaper and a random orbit sander and just go to town and it'd take me 20 minutes, 40 minutes to do one of those. But then once I got the drum sander, you know, it'd take, it might take similar amount of time, maybe half the amount of time, but it's way less on my back bending over my shoulder, moving that sander. Now I can just run it through there and then I can take, so I, I typically just leave like an 80 grit on there and I'll just do it for like a, a rough sand and then yeah. go through with the finished sand with the random orbit. Cause man, is that a lot easier? <laughs> Dude, I'm all about the easy out there. I'm all oh, about yeah. the easy on that because it's, it's brutal. Hey, I was going to ask you, um, since neither one of us are sponsored by tool companies, really, what's your favorite track saw out there? Do you have any brands of that? What are you using? So, you know, I have two track saws, actually. I've okay. got a Festool TS-55, mm. I think it Sexy. is. Uh, oh, yeah. And then I've got <laughs> a DeWalt cordless one. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, uh, I love them both. Yeah. The DeWalt one, I, I tend to use more often because it's cordless. So There you go. There goes to the yep. debate, right? You don't have that exactly. cord getting in the way. Yep. And then, so I always, I always laughed though, when I think about a track saw like that and that aspect, because you see the cordless ones, but you're always connecting it to a vacuum anyway. So I'd take that DeWalt <laughs> one out and I use the cordless, but it's connected to the vacuum. So really like it, it's, it has a cord. <laughs> just a I hadn't one, thought right? of that. It's just, a, yeah, that's yep. hilarious. I hadn't even thought of that. Because I'm, that's one of the, probably my next tool purchase is going to be a track saw. But uh, there's just so many times I've gone, oh man, I build my own, you know, straight edge and clamp it down and do that. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had a track saw for this, but I just Gosh. haven't created the storage space for it. So track saw is a game changer. I mean, it's so nice to have. And I will say, out of the two that I do have, the DeWalt one is ridiculously powerful. And I've talked to other people that have that one. Mm-hmm. It'll cut through, you know, like two inch hardwood single pass and it's nice. running on a battery. I think, yeah. I think it might be one of those bigger, like 40 or 60 volt batteries, but yeah. it's still, it's, it's, it's impressive that it does it all on a battery. Yeah. That whole flex volt system they have, I got to play with that. Um, it was funny. This is probably six years ago. I was out in New York at my buddy Skip Bedell's house out there. And he did catch a contractor and he's always on Fox and friends doing stuff, but he was working with those guys and he got the pre-release of that. And I was there when UPS showed up. So him and I unboxed that stuff. It was in a white box. They didn't even have the box figured out. It was the early, early, it was a, just kind of a white box. that came out of, it was not branded yet. And, uh, use that up. And I was like, wow, this is a game changer for putting serious power into a saw oh sure it's it's amazing what these battery powered saws can do i have another uh i have a milwaukee 18 that's what i have uh, yep miter saw and that thing is like ridiculous yeah i've got uh, i've got one as well i've got the smaller it's almost a trim saw it's that seven a quarter small one which is great for just hauling around and then i've i do have a big like 12 inch um rigid one that gets dusted off every time and it's corded, but I only use it when I need to cut something really big. Sure. And usually it's just sitting in the corner of the, on the shelf in the shed, but that's what it's sitting there for. But uh, yeah, the, the small stuff like that, when it's easy to handle and move around and I've got the stand for it, it works out pretty good for just doing moldings and trim and that kind of stuff. 
Sure. It's funny that you say that about the miter saw because when I first got into woodworking, I was thinking, you know, I need a miter saw. That's like very important. And it's funny how like often I don't use it or like if I'm going to cross cut something, I'll just use the table saw to do it because it's right there and it's yeah, just powerful click, and, it's, yep. and it tends to be a lot cleaner. <laughs> it does. The I mean, that throws stuff everywhere. Yeah. And I've gotten burned at trying to on, on that miter saw sometimes when you're cutting a little piece of hardwood or something and you cut it in the edge of the blade grabs it or something and ding oh, yeah. launches off and happy you got eye protection on because there's a little piece of uh you know three quarter inch wood bouncing around oh yeah oh you yeah know? that was if you get a board with any bit of tension in it and you start cutting it pinches that blade then there's there's nothing you can do <laughs> it's flying it's flying oh, yeah well scott we're running out of time what is the best way if somebody goes, man, I need a sign made or I want to learn more stuff about doing this. How do they track you down out there? Best way to get in touch with me is through Instagram DM. Uh, I'm working on updating my website. You can contact me through my website too, uh, working on updating that. So you can actually just order right through my website. Um, but best way to go through now is through Instagram DM for sure. Cool. Cool. And that is get off the couch design. Yep. Get off the couch underscore design. There we go. And uh, you've got a YouTube channel as well over there, correct? Yes, sir. Get off the couch design on YouTube as well. And we're on uh, TikTok too. There we go. All three. Love it. Oh yeah. Love it. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on today. Good to see you again. And we'll do this again soon. Sure. Always good talking with you, Eric. All right. I'm Eric G and you've been listening to Around the House. Anywhere beyond the me Life is a love song Let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.